When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary. Because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound Off. The United States can never default on its legal obligations. To do so would have catastrophic economic consequences. We've been way too over-reliant on foreign markets. People want to create these U.S. jobs. Bloomberg Sound Off. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. The Fed, under Powell's leadership, has basically shown the banks the test in advance. Mobilizing the business community is a really good thing to do, yes. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Well, at least we're not going to default next week. That much I can tell you. The rest is still up in the air. After the House passed a bill last night to raise the debt ceiling until December, it actually happened with unfinished business now on the Biden agenda, infrastructure reconciliation still stuck between moderate and progressive Democrats. As today, President Biden makes a big push to unclog supply chains. We'll talk about it all ahead with Representative Sherry Bustos, Democrat from Illinois. Later, we'll focus more on solving our supply chain issues with Michael Pyle, Chief Economic Advisor to Vice President Kamala Harris, will be joining us from the White House. The panel today, we have Bloomberg Politics contributor and Republican strategist Rick Davis and Democratic strategist Max Burns, founder of Third Degree Strategies. They're with us for the hour. So, as I mentioned, they passed the debt ceiling in the House, the bill slowly making its way to the White House for the president to sign even as Joe Biden convenes a meeting on supply chains. And it was a virtual room full today. With representatives from companies like FedEx, UPS, from Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Samsung, plus representatives from labor to confront the supply chain crisis, beginning with bottlenecks at our ports. And today we have some good news. We're going to help speed up the delivery of goods all across America. After weeks of negotiation and working with my team and with the major union retailers and freight movers, the ports of Los Angeles, the port of Los Angeles announced today that it's going to be begin operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The port of L.A. following the port of Long Beach. In doing so, the president says store chains now need to help complete the process. We need major retailers who order the goods and the freight movers who take the goods from the ships to factories and to stores to step up as well. That's where we begin with Representative Sherry Bustos, Democrat from Illinois. Congresswoman, thank you for joining us. Thanks for being on the line. I'd like to ask you about what influence, what power government has to solve this, from the White House to lawmakers like yourself to motivate private enterprise to get supply chains moving, even in the midst of a labor crunch. How do you get all these jobs filled? 
Well, I, I think they're motivated on their own. I mean, this is this is all economics, right? I mean, their bottom line depends on getting this right. I think what uh, Joe Biden did today as president, he was using his position to convene the right people around that virtual table to make sure that there's buy-in um, at the ports, to make sure there's buy-in from retailers. And uh, it is in all of our best interests, and I do mean all of our best best interests to to be fully engaged in this debate and getting this in the right place. This is something that clearly affects all of us, certainly people who live in your district, Congresswoman. Are the, are the gifts going to get there in time for the holidays? Well, I don't know. We're, we're hearing a lot about uh, get your Christmas presents ordered now. Yeah. But, but we, if you look at a congressional district like the one I re- represent, it's a, I'm a Democrat, but uh, Donald Trump won this district in 2016 and 2020, so it's very much a swing district. Uh, we have close to 10,000 family farmers or family farms in this congressional district. And so it's even things like, are we able to export our pork, which is a major, major economic driver for the, the part of the country where I live? Mm-hmm. And that gets down to this, the container shortages. It gets down to not having enough drivers to move um, our, our pigs uh, domestically. So it is, uh, when I say this is a concern for all of us, it, it gets down to our farmers, to our uh, to our retailers, our, our small mom and pop shops, and our bigger shops like the the WalMarts and the Targets of the world. Well, I guess you've become uh, an expert on this because uh, obviously everyone has to in a time like this. We're talking about some 3,500 containers, an additional 3,500 containers that would be moving at night uh, throughout the rest of the year. Is that enough to make a difference? Well, I mean, I think that's that's part of it. But, um, you you know, the other thing worth noting, you you started out your questions, Joe, by asking, well, what can we do as members of Congress? Mm -hmm. Again, I applaud uh, Joe Biden for for convening the the right people today. But the American Rescue Plan also included $4 billion in funding to address the supply chain issues just in agriculture. All right. So so that things like the meatpacking plants that uh, we need to make sure that we we can uh, process the meat that goes there. Uh, you know, this this announcement of working with major companies to deliver, to deliver 24-7, um, I, hopefully that does ease, ease the holiday bottleneck. And, uh, you know, the deal that he brokered with the Port of Los Angeles to keep it open 24-7, I think those are part of the answers. Uh, but we're, we're, we'll have to see if that's starting to, to offer a little relief, and we'll see if there's more that we have to do. I'd like to talk with you, Congresswoman, about many of the other issues that are hanging over Capitol Hill and this White House right now with months now into debate over the president's economic agenda. The bipartisan infrastructure bill, of course, passed the Senate. It's been on the shelf now for weeks in the House, and I know that you're in a pitched debate. Uh, We'll use uh, the term debate for this uh, particular conversation to figure out what to do with the reconciliation plan. That also doesn't even include the debt ceiling and government funding. So where to begin here? We can almost grab onto any of these things. After the debt ceiling passed the House now, what is the most urgent priority for you? Is it passing infrastructure or figuring out a longer-term arrangement for government funding? Well, I think the longer-term arrangement, look, that that's something that we just absolutely have to get right. Um, and, and frankly, I, I flew out of uh, my airport in Moline, Illinois, uh, to go back out to Washington yesterday. I'm back in Illinois today, so it was we literally flew out from all over the country for these for this this one vote uh, to make sure that uh, we could we could pay on our we could pay our bills and that we don't default on our debts, but but let me let me just very briefly draw a picture of, of what happened last night. We had 206 
206 House Republicans who voted to default. And that's the way I look at it. They voted to default on paying our bill. Now, keep in mind, they're, they're trying to point their fingers at Democrats and trying to make this a partisan issue. But um, only 3% of our debt right now, 3% of our debt came from the Biden administration. Sure. And all you have to do is look back at, at their idol, uh, President Trump, where almost $8 trillion um, were added to the national tab during his four-year presidency. Yeah, we so spent a lot of time talking about this and, and, and the past spending that it would cover, but also it took a Republican in Mitch McConnell to actually get a deal here to, to move the ball a little bit, right? Will, will Democrats then, Congresswoman, take the ball from here? Will Democrats lift the debt ceiling or suspend it through reconciliation? You, you, you clearly cannot count on Republican votes going forward. No, we can't count on, on Republican votes going forward. And, and what is so a shame about this, is that this has been bipartisan um, for every single vote up until last night. This has always been bipartisan. And a default means an economic recession. Think about just how serious this is for the Republicans not to play ball with us. Um, It means um, an economic recession. It means millions of jobs lost. Um, So we need to, we'll, we'll, we'll get that done, um, whether we have to go it alone. And it sounds like we'll have to, but we'll get that done. And, and back to the, um, you, you call it the reconciliation bill, I call it the Build Back Better bill. Um, yes. But we have to get that done, and we have to get infrastructure passed. You know, when, when I walk down the main streets in, in my town here in this congressional district, keep in mind that 85% of the towns in, in the de- district I represent are 5,000 people or fewer. I can tell you, they, none of them say anything about reconciliation. I mean, I, that's just not the way we talk around here. Um, but what they do say is that we need this bill passed. I'm wondering if it, sure that, is it more important to you to get something done than to fulfill the three and a half trillion dollar aim that 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 apparently is being wound down by by moderates? Is it more important to get the full package? So, yes, so you'd like to bring something home. And I ask you that knowing that it was the conversation we're having about the debt ceiling, the conversation we're having about the reconciliation plan. So much of this debate is motivated by the perpetual campaign, isn't it? And as a former chief of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, I just wonder what your feelings are about constantly running for re-election. Not that you are personally, but the, the membership of the House in not even being able to agree on, on paying our debt. How much of that has to do with the fact that House members are constantly running for re-election? Well, it, it's in our Constitution that every two years, if you're in the U.S. House of Representatives, you have to you have to run. Understood. Um, and um, so if, if we're going to change that, it would take a constitutional amendment. And I, I don't see that happening. But um, look, it, it is I, I remember um, early on in my political career, uh, I, I was running against a sitting Republican. And um, there was always this uh, pretense of being patriotic, more patriotic than Democrats are. And, you know, this phrase about always putting country ahead of party and and how how the claim was that Republicans did that. That's the way they lived their lives and Democrats didn't. And all, all I would do is point at what's going on right now. Um, it, it is really time and, and, and past time for all of us to put politics aside. Uh, we've got to pass this infrastructure package. We, we need it desperately. Our roads and our bridges and our locks and dams and um, our infrastructure from um, shore to shore is crumbling. We're falling behind um, the world in our competitiveness, and uh, so we need to pass it. And, and the Build Back Better Act, 
there are many, many outstanding components of that. I don't think we, we're not going to pass three and a half trillion. That's just the reality. It's not going to happen. Right. So I guess and the so question my, then is, should Democrats focus, as Nancy Pelosi, the speaker said, on doing fewer things well, or get your arms around this whole plan for less money and for a shorter period of time? Well, I, I, I think what's going to happen, um, Nancy Pelosi is the speaker of the house for a reason. She, she knows how to work with all the different, uh, uh, groups within our party, she, and she does it very well. And I and I trust her, and and I trust her leadership that, that we're going to land this in a good place. Congresswoman Sherry Bustos, we appreciate you. I think your cell phone is a bit challenged, and so we'll let you go with that. Democrat from Illinois, many thanks to you for the insights today. We've been trying to arrange that conversation for a while. As we get a little bit of a peek behind the curtain here, in what appears to be kind of a dead zone, there hasn't been any real news on the debate around infrastructure or reconciliation, aside from some posturing uh, over the past week or so. We've been so focused on the debt ceiling, and we're going to get into this a little bit more with the panel next. Bloomberg Politics contributor and Republican strategist Rick Davis coming in. Democratic strategist Max Burns, founder of Third Degree Strategies, with us for the hour. We'll check traffic. We'll check the markets along the way, because that's what we do here on Sound On. Stay with us live from Washington. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Hearing from Congresswoman Bustos leads me to the headline on the terminal. Democrats divided over how best to slice Biden's economic agenda. So that hasn't changed. Congress isn't back the House and Senate until next week. The panel, though, is here now. And this is where we start with Bloomberg Politics contributor and Republican strategist Rick Davis, Democratic strategist Max Burns, founder of Third Degree Strategies, with us as well for the hour. Gentlemen, thanks to both of you for being here. Rick, what do you make of the comments from Congresswoman Bustos? Here you have a Democrat not running for reelection. Democrat from Illinois, from the heartland, we could say here, and weighing in on this debate to suggest that the reconciliation plan should pass, but not necessarily at three and a half trillion dollars. Yeah, I think that this is a very clear indication, as you point out, here's someone who's not trying to run for reelection, mm-hmm. uh, already announced that she wasn't going to go again, and, and, and from a Heartland district, too. And, and I think it, it, it sort of portrays an interesting dilemma that Democrats have, which is they, they, they've not given up on the $3.5 trillion number. It's almost as if they have to say that, you know, oh, well, you know, it's still 3.5 trillion, but we'll take anything we can get between now and election day, uh, or maybe even now until the end of the year. Um, I thought it was striking too, that she kept going back to sort of, this should be bipartisan, we should be working things out, mostly talking about the debt limit, but I think her frustration was, generally speaking, in Congress, we don't work together anymore. And that may actually be one of the reasons she's leaving. Well, sure. Max Burns, what's your frustration when you listen to a back and forth like that? Well, I think the challenge is that Democrats in a lot of ways are still focused on the symptom and not the overall problem. And the problem is you have a really broadly popular agenda that's stuck in Congress. And voters, especially Democratic voters, are starting to get nervous about Biden and Democrats' ability to deliver. And that, more than anything we've seen, is what's causing this sort of drag on favorability, not just for Biden, but for members of Congress and the party in general. 
Well, so where do we go next week here, or should it be done by next week when leaders return, when lawmakers return, Rick? You've spent enough time on Capitol Hill to get how this works. Is this being negotiated right now while everyone's in the so-called homework period? You know, I think there are underlying conversations that are going on. We noticed today that the White House has, uh, you know, uh, put together a carbon capture um, uh, provision for the budget bill. It doesn't cover what Manchin was looking for in the in the power sector, but it's uh, it, it, it doesn't take much to include it once you've done what they've done. So I do think there are efforts to try and assemble the team, right? Each person has their own uh, uh, priorities that they want, and they seem to be starting to address those. Uh, and, and, and I've said a lot, um, no bill uh, is easier to pass the longer it hangs around. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always a time problem. And I think they're starting to run into one, especially with the jam up that's happening at the end of November, uh, early December with all these bills that are that are yet to be acted upon. I'd like to hear from you on that, Max, as Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal weighs in, of course, the chair of the House Progressive Caucus on her concerns. We are saying don't leave people behind. Don't leave behind people, families who need childcare, families who need paid leave. Don't leave behind climate action. Don't leave behind housing. Don't leave behind immigrants. That is what we are saying. Max, that's just about every item uh, that we've been talking about with regard to the reconciliation plan. And so the big question here is, do we start to lose policies or do we shrink the timeline here? Jayapal today says progressives are willing to discuss curbing the time that certain benefits are offered, but they still want the full range in the bill. And that's my sense of how this will likely shake out. You've seen progressives, at least externally, still fighting very publicly for $3.5 trillion. But more importantly, they're still talking with moderates, with the White House, and the sense is that somewhere between 2.2 and 2.5 trillion uh, might ultimately be acceptable. Uh, but barring that, uh, there is very few programs that the progressives are willing to publicly be seen backing down on because they're broadly popular with American voters. Well, that's what we hear, Rick. That's what we hear. We also hear that Republicans love their member of Congress, but they hate uh, Congress as a whole. It doesn't necessarily lead to a deal. Yeah, I agree. And I think that one of the things that's missing in this debate uh, is what's it going to cost to do this? It's going to cost tax increases. And and how many of these Democrats are going to want to see those commercials in their districts or their states uh, about how they just voted for the largest tax increase in American history? So I, I think one of the things they've got to do is temper the tone. Uh, I think those things that the press secretary said today probably are accurate, but they apply to other Democrats. And they're just giving talking points for Republicans to run against these folks, you know, in the midterm elections. So I think they, I think this administration has got to dial down the rhetoric a little bit. Schumer was out there uh, uh, declaring victory before he had had one, uh, attacking Republicans. I mean, everybody needs to chill out if they actually want to get a deal that requires Republican consent, at least on the process. Time to chill out, uh, Max. One of the big questions that I've been asking is what about the tax component here. If it's not three and a half trillion, doesn't that mean fewer tax hikes or smaller tax hikes to pay for it? It does. And more to the the point is that these tax programs that are used to fund this package are also popular with voters. Uh, This threat that Republicans will run messaging about Democrats supporting tax increases is already happening now, and it's proving to be largely ineffective. Uh, We saw a Pew survey recently that 61 percent of Americans 
supported raising taxes on people making over $400,000. Yeah. And half of low-income Republicans supported boosting corporate tax rates. I mean, that's a win-win for Democrats. Keep those numbers in mind. Max Burns, Rick Davis with us for the hour. They'll come back and we'll talk about how this plays on the campaign trail. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Headline on the terminal. Biden confronts supply chain crisis stretching past his grip. You heard his remarks live on Bloomberg Radio. As ships line up at our ports, we'll talk about what was achieved today, what was announced at the White House, what it means for the economic recovery, never mind your holiday shopping. Coming up with Mike Pyle, Chief Economic Advisor to Vice President Kamala Harris. We turn to the White House now for a conversation with Mike Pyle, Chief Economic Advisor to Vice President Kamala Harris in his first appearance on Sound On. Mike, it's great to have you today as we consider everything that we heard from President Biden and this virtual meeting that's awfully important to just about anyone who lives in this country as a worker or a consumer. The announcement to open the port 24-7 in L.A. following something similar in Long Beach appears to be significant, Mike. The question that we keep asking is, how do we get the labor side of this put together here? How do we have the workers to fill all of these jobs? Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, I think that that was actually one of the really important pieces of the the announcements that you heard today. You know, supports don't, you know, work by themselves. There's a lot of other pieces at play uh, in these supply chains. Uh, and so we not just we didn't just get the announcement from the Port of L.A. that they were going to be open 24-7. You know, we also heard from the longshoremen uh, who said to your question that they uh, got the workers who are going to fill those shifts. And we also heard today from the big retailers, from the big freight shippers like UPS and FedEx, yep. saying you know, we're going to make use of those nighttime hours. We're going to show up with trucks. Uh, we're going to show up with, with trains and we're going to move goods off those ports. Uh, during those those nighttime shift hours. It's all of those things working together, not just the ports 24-7, but, uh, but the unions, but the big shippers and the big retailers all working together uh, that's going to make this uh, system flow more more smoothly. And that's really what we can do from the federal government. You, that's the... you heard from the today, uh, the vice president, Secretary Buttigieg, you know, all working together with these stakeholders to make this happen. That's the issue, though, is the is the retail side of this, right, and the shipping side of this. 
Are you concerned that you can find or not find the number of drivers, for instance, needed to get behind the wheel of these trucks in the overnight shifts? Yeah, we've been very focused on uh, the, the, the issue of, of trucking as well, which is why, you know, it was so important when we convened kind of key port labor and business stakeholders today uh, with the vice president uh, in the lead chair. You know, it was important that the Teamsters were there as well, uh, because exactly to your point, uh, it's vital that there are the, the truckers there to, to get those goods off the port uh, into the warehouse onto uh, stores and consumers. And, you know, the Teamsters are ready to step forward, too. Mike, what role is Vice President Kamala Harris playing in this? The president obviously spoke today, but we saw a readout on the vice president in that meeting as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, first of all, the supply chain issue is is not a new one uh, for the president and the vice president. You know, very early on, uh, the president issued an executive order uh, highlighting issues of supply chain resilience as essential to the long-term health of the economy. Uh, the president and uh, vice president launched uh, the Supply Chain Disruptions Task Force in June to focus on some of these short-term bottlenecks. Yep. The vice president was in Southeast Asia in August and highlighted issues around transportation and shipping on the Asian side in Singapore and Vietnam, particularly around Delta. And today, again, she was at the head of the table with uh, with representatives of the ports, uh, with representatives of the major unions, with representatives of the retailers, of the shippers, uh, and, and kind of facilitating those conversations with these private sector actors that are responsible for that supply chain to turn over every stone and find out ways of getting more efficiency out of the system. That's exactly what she's been doing on both sides of the Pacific mm-hmm. uh, for the past month. I want to step back from this uh, meeting or summit, if we should call it that today, Mike. And just get a sense of what's really going on here as the wheels of government turn. Is this the White House? Is this the administration kind of using its contacts, its Rolodex and its its powers of persuasion to try to get all of these parties together? Or is there something more formal that can be done using the levers of government, using Congress to codify what was done today? Or is this is this essentially one big handshake deal between the shippers, the retailers in the White House? Well, let's be clear. I mean, the, the supply chains involving ports and shipping are really, it's a really a private system. Uh, and uh, what we can do is identify ways in which uh, it's clogged up, ways in which it's maybe not working as smoothly as it should, and bring together those people to uh, try to figure out if there's a better way. And again, that's exactly what happened here. It wasn't just about the ports going to 24-7. It was about labor stepping forward. It was about the shippers stepping forward and saying, we're going to make use of those hours. We're going to show up with workers to those hours. That's going to make the difference here. You know, I think on the legislative side, you know, it's less about, you know, using those facilitation and convening powers and more about, you know, the president's legislative agenda. When you look out over the long term, you know, building more resilient supply chains, building a more productive economy, you know, the infrastructure deal that the president struck uh, with, uh, with Republicans and Democrats in Congress is going to make historic investments in ports, probably the biggest investment uh, in U.S. ports in, in history. That's the kind of thing that can make a difference over the medium to long term. But right here in the here and now of the next quarter or two, it's bringing together the private parties to, to work more efficiently and to come to deals that they otherwise couldn't. Uh, that's really uh, that's really the, the most important thing we can do. We all know, Mike Pyle, that this is a supply and demand story here. You're dealing with the supply uh, situation here, obviously, in our supply chains. But 
What about the the demand that changed because of COVID? The fact that we're shipping more stuff than ever. We're talking more about Cyber Monday than we are about Black Friday at this point. Is that component going to change or is it about adjusting the supply side for the long term now that these are permanent changes? So I I think it's clear that, you know, when the pandemic struck, uh, it, it struck and changed the way that we demand goods, uh, as well as uh, striking the supply chains themselves. So, you know, Americans have, uh, have been demanding more goods and services, been demanding more durable goods uh, within the, the universe of goods. You know, that's continuing. You know, mm-hmm. if you look at just the data, you know, our supply chains are processing, you know, more goods, more throughput today uh, than ever before. But precisely because of that shift uh, towards goods, away from services, towards e-commerce, away from brick and mortar. You know, that's putting even more demand on the system yeah. uh, than than supplies been keeping up with. You know, we think there's quite a bit there that's, you know, going to be with us for a long time, this trend towards e-commerce, uh, very likely. But at the same time, as we move ahead, probably see some rotation back to services that people can go to restaurants, fly, interact with their friends uh, again more regularly. It's a different world. Mike Pyle, Chief Economic Advisor to Vice President Kamala Harris. Don't be a stranger. We like talking about policy, and it's great to do that with you today here on Sound On. Up next, we reassemble the panel. I'm Joe Matthew. Stay right here. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Don't forget the ships. The story today at the White House where they cannot afford an economic slowdown because of supply chains. We've got enough to worry about already. Not that officials in the administration can make any real promises. Here's White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki today. We are not the Postal Service or UPS or FedEx. Uh, We cannot guarantee. What we can do is use every lever at the federal government disposal to reduce uh, delays, to ensure that we are uh, addressing bottlenecks in the system, including uh, ports and the the need for them to be open longer hours so that goods can arrive. Let's hear from the panel on this. Bloomberg Politics contributor and Republican strategist Rick Davis is here along with Democratic strategist Max Burns, founder of Third Degree Strategies. As we get back to it here, Rick, is this good politics or, or does the White House risk getting a little bit too far over its skis? knowing that we really are, are dealing with what, what sounds like a handshake. This is an agreement for everyone to try to do better. Yeah, I do think it's a proper role of the White House to use the bully pulpit of the presidency to get people to do things they otherwise wouldn't do. And of course, as a Republican, I much prefer that than trying to pass some regulation or get you know uh, some agency to tell them what to do. So I, I, I think that's the right role, right, is to get people together and, and try to get them to work together to do this. I guess my question would be, why did they wait till now? I mean, they know this was a problem for a long time. They've been talking about supply chain disruption since the beginning of this administration. And now seemingly on the you know edge of the holidays, they finally focus in on, hey, we got to get these bottlenecks worked out. Yeah. And, and, and it's their constituencies, right? It's labor unions, it's truckers, it's shippers. 
Um, so I'm glad they've done it, but I'm, I'm, I'm worried that it might be too little too late. It's a fair question to ask Max Burns. He's certainly been talking about it for months. Why now? There is sort of a frustrating tendency within the Biden administration to sort of overthink challenges and debate these things to death, only to come back to your original plan months later. And that's a challenge that I think the Biden administration needs to address within itself. But on the policy standpoint, I think this is a strong policy, not just as a response to a crisis, but to sort of set up American infrastructure to modernize into the current era and to look beyond just solving the crisis to leaving some durable improvements uh, when this is all through. Well, I guess the president will be judged on this either way, uh, Rick. Will he be judged on whether your gifts arrive in time for the holidays? All I know, if I can't get the galactic snack in Grogu <laughs> animatron, I'm going to be upset. Wow, look who came ready to play. So, uh, yeah. Grogu, Grogu for you, uh, Max, what's on your list here? And does it matter if it shows up on time when it comes to the president? I think it would be amazing, but there are challenges with, with post office that have predated this administration, and those are things that are very difficult to dislodge and to, to modernize given the way that uh, the current postal administrator is managing things. That said, you know, you never want to go out and have the headline be Joe Biden cancels Christmas. Uh, that's an area exactly. where I think they're, they're interest in being honest with the American people gets ahead of their political sense a little bit in this case. Rick, what is it again? The Grogu what? What do you got? The, the, the galactic snacking oh. Grogu animatron. I mean, if you don't get one of those for your kids, you're going to be a Grinch himself. Oh, I just, I just Googled. Oh, look at this. God, it's almost 100 bucks. Yeah, you know those are going to be sold out. Uh, that's the, the Tickle Me Grogu will be the, uh, I guess, where we're going. Yeah, that's Baby Yoda. Thank you, Matt. I should, I should remind everyone here. Uh, this reminds me a little bit about the conversation about energy prices. I don't know how you feel about this, Rick, when the White House says, well, you know what, we're going we're gonna to make some phone calls here. We're going to ask OPEC to pump more. Maybe we're going to release a little bit from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. It's a, it's a political move that doesn't always result in a lot, right? There, you can't do something official. You can't order someone to do something and to make this problem better. Yeah, I think uh, Donald Trump made the same mistake. You know, he was going to yell at the Saudis about, you know, uh, 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 manipulating oil prices. And the minute you do that, you now are held hostage by the Saudis. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of the same thing. I mean, sometimes you just got to take it on the chops. If if nothing happens, it doesn't get better. You look like you've been emasculated. And, and, and so I do think some of these predictives... Uh, uh, trying to get into the pricing of gas, trying to, you know, ensure that the Grogu's make it to the shelf in time. Uh, you got to be a little careful. That's why I like the use of the bully pulpit, right? Where you yeah. bring in other people to try and get the job done. You rely on the, the private sector to do their part because really uh, the White House should not be involved in whether or not Christmas happens or not. They should be involved in building long-term infrastructure, and they've got a big fat check waiting for them in Congress to sign. They just can't get their own party to send it to them. Well, gosh, if we're talking infrastructure here, I don't think the White House is looking to lay new pipelines, Max Burns, but when it comes to energy prices, do you bring the, the CEOs of Chevron, Exxon, et cetera, to the White House and hold a similar kind of event? Yeah, and I think that's a very conscious effort by Joe Biden to avoid being seen as, as coercive or using federal power to, to pressure businesses. 
And it also makes the point, I think, to the American public uh, who see ads from Republicans saying that Joe Biden hates American business and hates the economy, uh, to see him standing in a room with executives who clearly appear to trust him to know what to do and trust him enough to be there is great counter messaging to that. But, you know, as Rick said, Joe Biden is on the line for if that does not deliver. You guys see Shatner today? Rick Davis, Grogu may not really be in space, but Captain Kirk actually went there. And it makes you start to wonder a little bit, as we can't get anything done in Washington. We can't get a debt ceiling raised past December. But private enterprise is putting people in space now on what seems like a daily basis. Yeah, watching watching Captain Kirk, William Shatner, cry after landing, after being in space, made me cry. And I'm not easy to cry. (laughs) And so, you know, that a boy, 90 years old, finally gets his ride in space after probably being in space more than any other actor in history. Uh, And and it was transformational for him. I I think, what did he say? He doesn't want to get over this moment. That's right, yeah. You know, if I were 90 years old, I wouldn't buy green bananas. I mean, like, you know, (laughs) it's the same concept. Very good. Max, though, doesn't it make a point that we can't figure ourselves out? Nobody can get along in Washington. We can't even get a debt ceiling handled, never mind a $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. But we're watching private enterprise reinvent itself at such an incredible pace here. These headlines come and go. You can't even remember uh, by the next day what happened. This was another incredible moment. Yeah, the desire to flee the earth seems to be accelerating, and the market is meeting that demand. But, you know, on a serious note, you know, seeing a guy with an ego like William Shatner's so completely humbled by that experience and just so overwhelmed, it really does show you that there's room for all of us, even at 90 years old, to change our perspectives and to take in new new experiences. So is there a takeaway, Rick, in our remaining moment here for politics? What can Washington learn from private companies who are reinventing themselves? Well, I think one of the, the biggest disasters of uh, government was the killing of the space program. And one of the great things, as Max just pointed out, of the private sector was picking up and actually making it better. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is a good theme. Uh, I, the one I really took from Captain Kirk's uh, landing uh, press conference was, we have a tiny little blue planet that's beautiful, and we should do everything we can to take care of it. Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Republican strategist, making a smile today, along with Democratic strategist Max Burns, founder of Third Degree Strategies. Thanks to both of you for being here. As I see the headline on the terminal, Blue Origin blasts 90-year-old Captain Kirk into space. Indeed, it was an historic day today in Van Horn, Texas. Well, you saw it all happen. You watched it on Bloomberg, of course. As we made history together all over again. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of Blue Origin, its 10-minute mission to send everyday millionaires beyond the Carmen line so they can face their own mortality. To boldly go where no 90-year-old man has gone before. That man, Captain James T. Kirk, known to most as William Shatner, landed safely with his three crew members brought to tears 
as he described the experience to founder Jeff Bezos. What you have given me is the most profound experience I can announce. I'm so filled with emotion about what just happened. I, I just, it's extraordinary. Almost like he was speaking to Bones himself or covering a Beatles classic. Picture yourself in a boat on a river with tangerine trees and marmalade skies. It has to do with the enormity and the quickness and the suddenness of life and death of the almighty. And she's gone! Life and death. Heavy stuff. And a big congrats to the captain, now Admiral. Of course, Kirk. Here on the fastest hour in politics, with apologies to Rick and Max. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Meet you back here tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.